dropping on my face. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. Welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast, the place for reviews, rants, and randomness. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to watch a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen, but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, this will probably be my most random monologue and has nothing to do with entertainment. In this day and age, we have so many tools at our fingertips that there's no reason for people to be ignorant about a subject. If I don't know something, the first thing I'd do is Google it or go to Wikipedia. Okay, I know anyone can make updates arbitrarily, but they have citations to validate their information. So, in lieu of going to my Encyclopedia Britannica set, it's the next best thing. But the amount of people on social media that make statements which are clearly wrong and can be rectified by a 3.7 second search is inexcusable. It was once said, better to remain silent and be thought of a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. I'll be honest, I didn't remember offhand who said that quote, but guess what? I searched for it, you know, rather than attribute it to like David Duchovny. Though in this case, even Google didn't know. It's been credited to Abraham Lincoln, Maurice Switzer, Mark Twain, Franz Kafka, and Proverbs but at least I made the effort. The reason this came up recently is because I'm redecorating my parents' kitchen, and I was looking for a wall clock, and I noticed that for the ones which use Roman numerals, for the number four, instead of having IV, they have four I's, I-I-I-I, which sounds like a vote in Congress. And in the reviews, people would give these clocks two stars because they thought the number four was incorrect. But if you were to do a very simple search, you would find out that it's called a Watchmaker's 4. There are a couple of different theories as to when and why this started, but I think the most logical and consistent that I've seen is that in Roman numerals, 4, IV, can be easily confused with 6, VI, especially when you're looking at it upside down. So some clock manufacturers use the Watchmaker's 4. And now you know. So if you were one of those people that gave two stars to the clock, you might want to rethink your review. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It. Two stars Watch at Your Own Risk. Three stars Standard Fare. Four stars Worth Checking Out. And five stars Must See. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas from 1998. So how'd I miss it? I'll be honest, 
for a while, I avoided Johnny Depp movies because they all seemed just kinda weird. Avant-garde is what pretentious people would say. Or he'd do a romantic comedy that I had no desire to see. Benny and June, Don Juan DeMarco, or Chocolat. After A Nightmare on Elm Street, it wasn't until Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, that I started giving him a chance. It was directed by Terry Gilliam, who helmed Brazil, The Fisher King, Twelve Monkeys, and was part of the legendary comedy troupe, Monty Python. The screenplay was co-written by Terry Gilliam, Tony Grissoni, Todd Davies, and Alex Cox. It was based on the book of the same name by Hunter S. Thompson, noted author of Hell's Angels and The Rum Diary. This is something to look out for. It has a strong supporting cast with Christina Ricci, Mark Harmon, Ellen Barkin, Cameron Diaz, Gary Busey, Flea, and cameo appearances by Vern Troyer, Jeanette Goldstein, and Harry Dean Stanton. Oh boy, so this is how the movie starts off. There's newsreel footage of a helicopter, people protesting the Vietnam War, intercut with blood splatter over a creepy version of My Favorite Things by the Lennon sisters. But it sounds like the sisters from The Shining. To give you some context, I'm watching this on a Sunday morning and don't think I'm in the right state of mind for this picture. There's a quote from Dr. Johnson. No, not that Dr. Johnson. Yes, that Dr. Johnson which states, He who makes a beast of himself gets rid of the pain of being a man. Very profound. Raoul Duke and Dr. Gonzo speed down the highway in a convertible around Barstow at the edge of the desert, when the drugs begin to kick in. And there we have it. They're hallucinating, believing a swarm of bats are attacking them. They pass by a hitchhiker and pick him up, trying to maintain that they're not under the influence. This merry band of scoundrels is performed by a trio of talented actors. The doctor of journalist Raoul Duke is performed by Johnny Depp, who starred in Pirates of the Caribbean, Ed Wood, and my personal favorite of his, Finding Neverland. The attorney, Dr. Gonzo, is played by Benicio del Toro, known for The Usual Suspects, License to Kill, Snatch, and won an Academy Award for Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Traffic. The hitchhiker is Tobey Maguire of Spider-Man and Wonder Boy's fame. They explain to their traveler that 24 hours ago, they were sitting in the polo lounge of the Beverly Heights Hotel drowning their sorrows, trying to forget the brutish realities of 1971, when Duke receives a phone call from headquarters who send him to Las Vegas to make contact with a photographer named Lacerda for coverage of the Mint 400, the richest off-road race for motorcycles and dune buggies. Gonzo makes an excuse to tag along for the ride. As they get further into their stupor, Duke and Gonzo fabricate a story that they're going to Las Vegas to kill a heroin dealer named Savage Henry. At the appearance of a gun, the hitchhiker realizes that walking might be a safer route, so he hops out of the car and runs off. Fearing he might call the cops, Duke and Gonzo hurry to get out of California. They check into a hotel and the photographer, Lacerda, reaches out to them. He and Duke head off to cover the Mint 400 races. But while there, Duke has hallucinations that he's on a battlefield and heads back to the hotel where he and Gonzo partake in drugs and go to the casino. That last sentence is basically the whole movie in a nutshell. Here's a quote without context. What kind of rat bastard psychotic would play that song right now at this moment? Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is an interesting film. I didn't like it. 
But there are certain aspects that I thought were uh, interesting. The technical portions of the film were great. The set designs had a very Art Deco feel. The color schemes were bright. The costumes were period, but still notable for each character. If you're a filmmaker and had to create the visual manifestation of a trip, that's a lot of fun creatively. And that is certainly in Terry Gilliam's wheelhouse, as he was responsible for the unique animation sequences in Monty Python. In this film, he used bugs, worms, and lizards to represent hallucinations. My biggest problem with the film is that you're watching other people on a drug trip. Have you ever been the sober one around these people? It's not fun. You're not experiencing what they're seeing. You're watching them twitch, make weird faces, say odd things. It's just not that interesting. And there wasn't much depth to the story. A lot of depth, but not depth. In comparison with movies like The Hangover or even Half-Baked, which I reviewed in Season 1, Episode 24 of the podcast, at least it felt like something happened. There were events. I didn't get that with this film. Now for a little trivial trivia. The movie spent years in development hell, and at one point, Jack Nicholson and Marlon Brando were considered for the lead roles. The cinematography was captured by Nicola Pecorini, whose filmography includes Rules of Engagement, Bullworth, The American President, and Beverly Hills Ninja. It was edited by Leslie Walker, who worked on Emma, Nicholas Nickleby, and Mamma Mia. The score was composed by Ray Cooper, who contributed music to Time Bandits, The Fisher King, and The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. The soundtrack featured an eclectic mix of artists, including Tom Jones, Jefferson Airplane, Robert Goulet, and the Yardbirds. Not surprisingly, this was the highlight of the film for me. The runtime is 1 hour 58 minutes. It had a budget of $18 million and grossed $14 million at the box office. It has since become a cult classic. I give it 2.5 out of 5 stars. It's not really my thing, but I'm glad I watched it. A couple of neat ideas, but ultimately, I found it to be a slog of weirdness. Add a star if you'll watch this under the influence of mind-altering substances. If you've seen Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along. Each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. Last season, I mentioned in episode 8 that I'm fascinated by the ocean. It's odd. I never go to the beach and wouldn't swim in the Atlantic if you paid me. You see, back in the 80s, medical waste and hypodermic needles washed up on the shores of New York and New Jersey. That's when I said, all right, I'm done with the ocean. But there's something about the water that I need to be near. It could be because I'm a Cancer and it's a water sign. We're represented by the crab who circumnavigates between the shore and sea. Don't worry, I'm not one of those people. But there are certain aspects of astrology that I kind of believe in. I remember some mornings when I'm waiting by the train station and the breeze just wafts the right way and I can smell the ocean. It's not something I'd want to wear as a scent, but it's got a calming influence. So I look up videos all the time about the ocean and came across two that were pretty interesting. At some level, I probably knew this, but the world isn't one big ocean. There's a reason why bodies of water are labeled with different names, and it's due to the currents and a lot of scientific jargon I don't understand. 
But with the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans specifically, due to their water density, salinity, and temperature, they don't mix. And I found another video that was shot where a boat is passing from the Pacific to the Atlantic Ocean, and you can physically see the line where they meet. It's truly mesmerizing to see. Both videos are available in the Matt Watch That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Weeds, created by Genji Kohan. In the mid to late 2000s, or aughts, Showtime had an amazing run of some brilliant series. Dexter, Brotherhood, The Big C, Dead Like Me, Sleeper Cell, Huff, Californication, Nurse Jackie. But my favorite was Weeds. After Nancy Botwin's husband dies suddenly, she starts selling pot to maintain her lifestyle in the upper-class neighborhood of Agrestic. It starred Mary Louise Parker, Justin Kirk, Hunter Parrish, Alexander Gould, Elizabeth Perkins, Kevin Nealon, Tony Batano, and Romani Malco. I think the first three seasons are impeccable television. Some of the best writing. The characters are fun, and I really enjoy the family dynamic. I can rewatch those episodes over and over and over again, and I do. But there's a major shift after season three that changed the series going forward. I would say the next two seasons were pretty decent. After that, there's kind of a major fall off. There are still some funny episodes in the later seasons, but the initial premise that made the show so engaging to me was no longer there. I think the biggest problem is Nancy's pot business grew so fast that there was really nowhere else to go, so the creators had to change the show. I mean, in season one, they were hanging out with Snoop Dogg. I think if they took their time a little more, they could have done another two seasons within the suburbs. It's been a while since I've done a complete binge of the show from start to finish, so my overall opinion might soften over time. Maybe I was too harsh on the later seasons? But I can't praise enough the first few. Weeds was on for 8 seasons, 102 episodes from 2005 to 2012. It was announced there will be a sequel series entitled Weeds 4.20, which features original cast members Mary Louise Parker and Elizabeth Perkins, though there have been no further developments. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Head over to MattSarosky.com for the latest news and updates, and come back next time for all the reviews, rants, and random they explained to their traveler that 24 hours ago, they were sitting in the polo lounge of the Beverly Hills Heights Hotel. <laughs> Couldn't get that one out. Raoul Duke and Dr. Gonzo speak down the hot speak. Technically, they are speaking down the highway, but they're really speeding. They explained to their traveler that 24 hours ago, they were sitting in the polo lounge of the Beverly Heights Hotel, drowning their sorrows, trying to forget the British... the British... trying to forget the brutish brutalities. Wow. 
when Duke receives a call from the headquarters, who send him to Las Vegas to make contact with a photographer. Photographer? Whoa. I am not doing well today. 